When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Chad. I'm a Gen X grown-up. I support Gen X grown-up through Patreon, and you can too at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I am John. Joining me, as always, is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? You know that Mo is here. Hey, everybody. When the Monday Night Wrestling Wars were in full swing, a small upstart promotion from Philadelphia hired a visionary promoter, and together they took sports entertainment to the extreme. In this backtrack, we will cover the origins, talent, and eventual demise of ECW. And that is thanks to our resident wrestling expert, George. This, this was your idea for a show. And like last time we did this, we learned so much about wrestling that we had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wrestling is an incredibly broad topic in and of itself. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like saying the topic of movies. I mean, it's just yeah. it's this huge, vast topic because especially in the United States, there is such a long history, hundreds, like a hundred plus years of professional wrestling as we know it today and broken up into so many different areas and companies and promotional organizations and specific like high value names that are out there. It's impossible to cover wrestling in a single podcast, let alone yeah. mm-hmm. a 500 podcast, probably. I mean, there are podcasts that are dedicated Just to wrestling, this, right? even from professional wrestlers themselves at this point. So right. yeah. I love wrestling, as you guys know. I love to talk about it. And when we were talking about coming up with a backtrack for this week, I was like, well, I can put together another wrestling one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was expecting you guys to go bullshit on that. We had to do two <laughs> no. parts last time. No, no, no. But <laughs> go for you it. guys were gracious enough to allow me to do it. I'm going to absolutely make sure that this one stays to one part. And I'm going to try and get us out <laughs> in under 45 minutes if I can. <laughs> but it's a big we'll topic. See. It is. Yeah. 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 But it's worth talking about. I agree. I agree. Before we get into it, real quickly, time for some fourth listener email, though. This time around, it's Dave. David, who dropped us a line via Discord, and he wrote in reference to the backtrack about summertime toys and play we did not long ago. Okay. Here's what David had to say. His email was in two parts. He said, part one, big wheels. <laughs> My big wheel not only had a handbrake, but also had a clicker that made a very loud oh. buzzing sound when the wheels rolled. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. He says, this really pissed off an elderly gentleman living in my NYC apartment <laughs> complex. See, Mo, somebody in New York City had a big wheel. I, I didn't yeah. know him. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, you're both in the same town. Why not? <laughs> I, I didn't know him. Sorry. He said, I'd ride around the courtyard all summer, making a huge racket that echoed off the building, causing oh. this man to go into a periodic rage. So much so, my dad needed to modify my big wheel to remove the plastic tab that made the noise. Oh, That's just wrong. 
That is, I know. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I get why your dad but did that's it. That's the cool part. The noise part. Yeah. That's anyway. <laughs> Sorry, David. Part two of his reminiscence about our summertime play podcast. Fire hydrants. Ah, <laughs> yep. New York City, Mo. There you go. Yep. He says it was and still is illegal to uncap a hydrant. It, is. it can dangerously reduce water pressure that might be needed to put out a fire, but the practice was usually tolerated by the authorities during heat waves. The city did, however, supply sprinkler caps that could be installed on hydrants. Eh. Oh, yeah? No? They What's did. with the sprinkler caps, Mo? But it, it sounds like they did, but they sucked, is what I'm getting uh, from Mo's voice. I mean, you have a choice between getting 20,000 pounds of water pressure knocking your ass down versus a little sprinkler. I mean, come on. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, I see. <laughs> You're missing the point is the problem here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, David says, uh, however, the sprinkler caps that could be installed dramatically reduce the water flow, but it could still cool you off. Of course, this wasn't quite as much fun as the Thank deluge you. from a fully uncapped hydrant. I yeah, totally agree with him. Was your point to cool off or was your point to blast the skin off a small child? I think... It's probably blast the skin off a small a, child. Little column B. Why can't it be both? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's not limit ourselves here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had talked about the brakes of the big wheel, whether it was the green machine or what. So there was a big wheel with a brake. Now we know. And apparently a noisy machine. That was good, too. Thank you, David. We appreciate that you wrote into the show. We appreciate we're happy that the summertime backtrack kind of rekindled some memories for you. We'd love every time the fourth listener writes in. If you would like your email feature here on the show, it's easy. Just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. We'll read every single one, uh, whether it's email or discord like David did. We read every single one and most of them like David's eventually make the show. All right. It's time to get into the ring right after this break. (laughs) Stick around. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to or follow Gen X Grown Up wherever you listen. And while you're there, rate and review the show too. It helps more than you know. No corporate sponsorships. No big name advertisers. We're politically incorrect, and we don't play by anybody's rules. Pay-per-view's hottest underground movement can't be held back anymore. Why play it safe? DCW's living dangerously live on pay-per-view. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all eight. No, oh, that's God. a different company. That's that's a whole different group. <laughs> but it's wrestling. <laughs> I want to first start out, as you might imagine, we need to talk about how ECW got its start. And oddly enough, it got its start in 1990 under a completely different name, not even the same initials. It used to originally be called the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, and it was owned hmm. by a, a guy named Joel Goodhart. Now, Joel Goodhart has no other relevance to the story other than he owned the original company that eventually became ECW. Mm -hmm. That's his whole claim to fame. 
he was a wrestling promoter in relation to our story doesn't terribly matter other than he happened to be the guy who originally had the territory. We talked a little bit about territories in our last podcast on wrestling and territory system at the time was in full force. The NWA, the national wrestling Alliance had segmented Mm -hmm. out the country with different promotions that were allowed to operate in certain geographical locations. There was the Carolinas promotion, North and South Carolina. That was where they operated. Uh, The Mm -hmm. tri-state wrestling Alliance operated out of the New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania kind of area. All right. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were other companies like there was Florida Championship Wrestling, obviously out of Florida, Georgia Championship Wrestling out of Georgia, so on and so forth. This particular organization, it was not very notable. Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, they never really were big. They had their own little arena and they had some local shows, but they were never going to be like a monster company like the Carolinas group or the Florida group or so on and so forth. So in 1992, a couple years later, uh, Goodert sold his share of the company to his partner, Todd Gordon. Now, Todd Gordon is extremely important because he's the man that changed the organization from Tri-State Wrestling Alliance to ECW. However, not the ECW that you might be thinking of. His original title for the organization was the Eastern Championship Wrestling Group. So not the extreme championship wrestling that we have come to know and love today. That didn't happen until a little bit later. There was a gentleman named Paul Heyman. Now, you guys may have heard that name in modern wrestling terms. Maybe not, because I know you two don't really watch wrestling, but Paul Heyman is a super high-profile, notable figure in the world of wrestling and sports entertainment right now. He is currently employed by the WWE as one of their primary on-air talents. He's been a writer. He's been a booker. He's been a promoter. Now, at the time, Paul Heyman went under a different name on television, and he worked for a different company. He worked for the company that we talked about in our last podcast, the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. He worked for WCW. Now, John, he had a name that shares its origins with a movie that I know you used to like when we were friends back in the Star Trek Club days. Okay. His character's name on TV was Paul E. Dangerously. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> like Johnny. It, exactly. That's where he kind of got the idea oh, for the God. name. Got it. Now, the character wasn't Johnny Dangerously, as you would imagine. It wasn't a direct right. port, so to speak. Uh, he did have some similarities that he was kind of a criminal guy a little bit. He carried around one of those big old school brick cell phones, the big giant gray ones with the antennas on them and everything. Uh, he would use that in matches to hit his wrestlers, opponents, because he was a manager. He was never a wrestler himself. Okay. Uh, so he would interfere in matches with the cell phone thing. He worked at WCW primarily as an on-air talent. Well, in 1993, Todd Gordon hired him to become the new booker of ECW after he fired another notable wrestler. John, this is a gentleman who has ties to Tallahassee, a guy named Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> now, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was, he was an interesting wrestler. He was always a writer and a booker wherever he went. And mm-hmm. of course, he would book himself as one of the primary talents in whatever organization he was in. 
the tie that he has to Tallahassee is that he married a young lady named Missy Hyatt, who was actually born and raised and went to Leon High School here in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm, okay. So whenever they would come to the area with any kind of a promotion, Missy Hyatt was always more popular than Eddie Gilbert was in Tallahassee. Uh, hometown girl. Yeah, hometown girl. George, can I stop you a quick second? Yeah, absolutely. You keep talking about bookers? Sure. What does a booker do? Okay. So a booker is essentially the head writer for the promotion. He determines what the storylines are going to be, who's going to be the champion, who's going to lose championships. He helps write out the storylines, usually either by himself in a small promotion or if it's a bigger promotion like WWE, he's Mm -hmm. the head writer in the writing room, writing Mm -hmm. out all the different characters and storylines and whatnot. Uh, The booker is the man who is also kind of really in charge at the show itself. Like he's the guy, okay, your time to go pushing people out of the curtain, so to speak, and making sure that the matches hit their time marks and get in and out on time. Because as we know, wrestling being scripted, one of the things that most people don't think about very often is that matches are timed to the minute. And Mm. they're done that way because Mm. they agree to certain contracts with these arenas. We're going to be there for this specific amount of time. And this is how much we're willing to pay to use your venue. And if they go over, they get penalties. Oh, wow. So he's like the, he's like the on-site director almost. He's like, pretty much you do this now, you do this time for you now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Some famous examples of bookers are people like Dusty Rhodes. He was the booker for the NWA in Georgia and WCW for years. Was he? Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, he has a very famous uh, phrase that is synonymous with wrestling. He created these types of finishes in matches where the good guy was about to win and then the bad guy's teammates would run down and storm the ring and interfere and it would be a disqualification. Something. (laughs) That's famously now known as the dusty finish. Oh, Oh. really? Yeah. So anytime you see that anywhere, that's a dusty finish. Got it. So we're getting a little far afield. I'll get back because like I said, I want to get us out in under 45 minutes. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. It's just so interesting. Like there's something you want to explore and you're like, you dig into it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so 1993, Paul Heyman gets hired by Todd Gordon to become the new booker of ECW. Paul Heyman has some interesting ideas, and so does Todd Gordon. And those ideas are they hate the NWA. Okay. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the NWA was the big giant promotion that yep, kind of supervised that. all the territories themselves, mm-hmm. of which in ECW was a part. ECW was one of the NWA territories. Well, in 1994, a man named Jim Crockett, who we did talk about in our last podcast, he had been the head guy in charge of Georgia Championship Wrestling before Ted Turner bought it and turned it into WCW. Right. Well, at that time in 1994, his non-compete with Ted Turner, it was going away. So he could now be back Mm -hmm. in the wrestling business on TV again. And he wanted to start up a new organization as part of the NWA, and he wanted to do a new tournament to crown a new NWA champion because at the time, the NWA championship had kind of morphed and become the WCW championship. That's what everybody recognized. Uh Most of the territories were having a hard time because there was the big Monday night wars between WCW and WWF at the time, and those were the two main world championships that were recognized. Everybody else's were just what you might call territory championships or local championships. 
So if you weren't one of the big boys, you were struggling for to, yeah. to your slice the pie a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And it's it's funny because we talked uh, last week about SFGE and how we had gone to that convention and they had the professional wrestling there. One of the questions my mm-hmm. wife asked me as we were watching that was, how much do these guys get paid? Well, in a small little organization, and this is back then, and I'm not talking about at SFGE, but it's a right. similar pay scale. 20 bucks a night, 50 bucks a night, maybe really? as a wrestler, if you were lucky, wow, wow. if you Jeez, were the wow. headliner guy who was brought in by the NWA to that particular territory, you'd probably get a share of the gate, maybe. Okay, no. <laughs> but wrestlers incredibly criminally underpaid at that time. Wow. So the guys, Gordon and Heyman, they hated the NWA. They felt the NWA was a dying organization. Understandably so. WCW, WWF were everything. NWA was barely on television in most of its territorial markets. So being a part of that kind of an organization doesn't necessarily appeal to people who are trying to build a new brand, right? Okay. okay. So they came up with an idea. Jim Crockett had proposed this tournament to crown a new NWA champion. And Gordon and Heyman said, you know what? We're going to talk them in to having it in our home arena here in Philadelphia. We'll get one of our guys to face another one of our guys in the final match of the tournament. So Mm -hmm. our guy will win. And then we're going to tell him to throw the belt down and we're getting out of the NWA on national TV. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) So so like a big public spectacle out of it. Exactly. Now, does that sound Mm -hmm. a little familiar? Yeah. It should because WCW did similar type of activity when they brought the female champion from WWF Medusa and they brought her over to WCW and they had her throw that belt in the trash. We talked about that in that podcast Mm -hmm. and it was this big, huge controversy because it was disrespecting another organization. Right. That's what they decided they wanted to do, but on their world championship, not just one of the lesser belts. I mean, I hate to say that because in this day and age, you know, women and men are supposed to be equal and everything, but truthfully back then the female wrestlers weren't regarded on the same level as the male wrestlers were. Oh, that's true in so many sports. So yeah. Yeah. Right. So they had this wrestler named Shane Douglas. Now Shane Douglas had been wrestling before in other organizations. He had been in WCW. As a matter of fact, he was a little bit controversial because he was known for no showing events out of nowhere, meaning he just would book himself and sign the contract and just not make it to the event. Uh, So (laughs) some people didn't like Shane Douglas at all. I can understand that. This is 1994. They decided to book Shane Douglas. They talked to him. Shane Douglas had a personal beef with the NWA president, Dennis Coraluzzo. Coraluzzo was one of those guys who would spread the rumors about, hey, in your NWA territory, don't book Shane Douglas. He's never going to show up. And if he does, he's going to do his own thing. He's going to write his own storyline and not pay attention to your thing. He's not a good guy to have around. This is not, not, not a good wrestling citizen, is he? Like, you, you got to show yeah, up and do what you're paid to do. Yeah. yeah. So the, you have three main people now who are kind of running this tournament that they've decided amongst the three of them, they're done with the NWA and they're going to make a point of it and they're going to change their brand right now like i said before they were eastern championship wrestling at this time paul Heyman, being the visionary that he was he said traditional wrestling is boring the wwf (laughs) at the time was trying to get into its more r-rated stuff they had just come out of that rock and wrestling hulk hogan cartoon Mm -hmm, saturday morning phase uh the wcw was doing the whole stripper pole thing with the wcw dancers (laughs) the nitro girls and stuff 
so he recognized that the national audience was becoming more interested in crazier antics from the wrestling world. Hmm. So they came up with this idea and they did execute this idea. Shane Douglas beat a gentleman named Too Cold Scorpio <laughs> in the final <laughs> Too match. Cold Scorpio. Too Cold Actually Scorpio. a great technical wrestler, one of the best in the business, but just a crazy name, as you might expect. And they convinced Douglas to throw down the belt, which he did. There was an interview that Paul Heyman did a little bit later. He said, the National Wrestling Alliance was old school when old school wasn't hip anymore. We wanted to set our mark. We wanted to break away from the pack. We wanted to let the world know that we weren't just some independent promotion. Hmm. Okay. That's a statement. And with that, (laughs) Shane Douglas, Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon created the environment that became known as Extreme Championship Wrestling. Ah, the E change. And we're going to get into the rise of Extreme I get it now. right okay. after this. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to Gen X Grown Up. But if you have a friend who's not yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. Hardcore Heaven 99, available now from ECW Home Video. Sid takes a vicious beating at the hands of the Impact player. Rob Van Dam defends the world television title against Jerry Lynn. And those damn Dudley boys start a bloodbath with the Human Suplex Machine Tag, ECW Hardcore Heaven 99, order now! So we talked about the origins. It's time now to talk about the rise of Extreme. Okay. And I say that because they would lead their shows with that kind of a line all the time. This okay. is the rise of extreme. This is John dream, dream. Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday kind of a feel. They immediately shifted course with their on-air television show. They had a local channel and they had syndication through their extreme championship television, mm-hmm. I think, or extreme wrestling TV, I think it was called. And they also produced an incredibly popular amount of VHS tapes at the time. We know that oh, really? this is the era of VHS rental tapes. And we're going to get into some of that when we talk about some of the extreme moments of okay. ECW. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I'll hold those questions then. <laughs> I know you got some and, and they're <laughs> going to be great questions. I know. Okay. But yes, it was very important to their popularity because they broke away from the NWA. So you know what that mm-hmm. means? No extra promotional money from the head organization. We're not going to help you get TV contracts. You're off on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fend for yourself. John's Makes been sense. in television for a long time. That's not an easy prospect. Yeah. 
to take this small little fledgling, you know, and by the way, their home studio, it was literally a warehouse. I don't mean that as a euphemism. It was just a warehouse. Wow. <laughs> One of the moments <laughs> we're going to talk about when a certain person did something on top of the ECW arena was inside the warehouse on one of those little, you know how you go into a warehouse sometimes and they have that little office that's just kind of built off the side yeah, wall like that doesn't go right, to the yeah, roof right. of the warehouse. Yeah. That's what they did their thing on. Was like that the one roof of those of the little, little office things. inside the warehouse? Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and there was a point, uh, we'll talk about it later, but the drywall okay. comes into play. That's all I'm okay. <laughs> I'm curious. So we talked a little bit about the one main wrestler who got this all started on air, and that was Shane Douglas. I want to go right. through some of the rest of the list of wrestlers that were a part of this organization. Now, okay. any real wrestling fans out there are going to recognize most of the names that I'm going to mention. I know you guys are learning wrestling through these podcasts, so <laughs> yeah. please feel free to ask any questions. I'm just going to run down the list. You guys stop me when you want to ask a question. <laughs> okay. I think he just called us out. Any real wrestling fans will recognize <laughs> And, and then there's you, dipshits. I mean, we're not real wrestling fans, You're, you know, admit it. You know, I mean, not like it's a cat video game or anything, but okay. <laughs> so, all, all right, right, lay it on. Shane Douglas, he was the first champion of ECW and stayed champion for a long amount of time, as you can imagine, as they're trying to build this brand. Uh, one okay. of the other super notable wrestlers who didn't start off this way, but became an icon of extreme wrestling, Tommy Dreamer, who earned the nickname, the <laughs> innovator of violence. He's the only nickname I'm going to tell you, <laughs> but that's a beautiful nickname. The innovator of, of violence? violence. Yes. <laughs> I find new and creative ways to bring pain. I like that. <laughs> he is so awesome. Another gentleman, <laughs> Sabu. He is actually the nephew of a famous wrestler. You guys probably know this guy, the Sheik. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This okay. is way back in the day, though, So right? Sabu is his nephew in real life. Okay. Okay. Sabu, crazy wrestler. Jerry Lynn, one of these high-flying technical guys who you kind of have to have on your wrestling roster who can do all these crazy acrobatic aerial, aerial moves. Jumping. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another gentleman, Taz. Ooh. This guy, uh, brutal, like he came out kind of in a Mike Tyson style with a towel draped over his head and just matter of fact, okay. and his okay. the catchphrase people would scream when he would come out, Taz is going to kill you, Taz is going to, wow, uh, just crazy. <laughs> Another one, uh, Mo, we talked about looking forward to a certain movie that's coming out. Yeah. Right? TV show. Sandman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the there was a wrestler called the Sandman. <laughs> Did he throw sand to people or what no, did he do? No, he didn't, but he did put them to sleep. I was going to say, put him to sleep. Oh, okay, put him yep. to sleep. That's my Makes next sense. guess. <laughs> he came out to the Metallica song, Enter the Sandman. Oh, perfect. Before Metallica was suing everybody. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> another guy who picked his name based out of something that had happened a few years before, a movie called New Jack City. This yeah. wrestler's mm -hmm. name was New Jack. That okay. was it. His name was N New Jack? Like, was new his first name and Jack was his last name? I, Mr. Jack. And trust me, <laughs> this Jack. guy, okay. even outside of the ring, he's a convicted criminal. Literally. Oh, really? Like, this like man legit? has tried to okay. actually murder people in the ring and out of the ring. Oh, damn. Okay. He's a crazy guy. Another guy who had a really interesting gimmick called Raven. He had this grunge gimmick and he had a group of people around him called the flock. He was kind of one of these like forming his own cult kind of people. And he would come <laughs> dressed out in a leather jacket 
with the grunge like flannel draped around his waist. Right. Interesting okay. guy. Kind of tried to live his gimmick a little too much, actually. Okay. Another gentleman born out of the 80s pop culture, 90s pop culture, Rob Van Dam. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that name. Yep, because he, that that's dad. one of his phrases. He will stand in the ring and point at himself and go, Rob, Van, Dam, and the whole audience <laughs> will chant it with him. It's crazy. And he was trying to be like a Claude Van Dam, I'm sure, the rhyme, right? That, was that the and idea? that was where his wrestling moveset came from. He did all these martial arts kind oh, of moves. Martial arts. Okay, kicks. I got gotcha. you. He okay. wore this uh, unitard with shorts kind of thing, like a amateur wrestler kind of unitard, but he would always have them custom painted with these Okay. super cool airbrush graphics and designs. It was really fun. Okay. And he's a great wrestler. I love him a lot. John, this one I think you might find interesting. Mikey Whipwreck. <laughs> Whipwreck? Whipwreck. Whipwreck. Yes. Not shipwreck. Whipwreck. No, no. Whipwreck. Please, please tell me he was a pirate. I can't tell you that. I'm sorry. Oh, he damn was it. not. Lost with a name like Mikey Whipwreck? Oh, come on. <laughs> he was just a small little guy who, when he would come out to the ring, everybody knew his job was to get beat down. We talked about that before, how you had jobbers and wrestlers. Those were the, okay. in wrestling, those were the guys who uh-huh. were supposed to get beat up. He came out and just appeared as a jobber, but he was the jobber who wouldn't die. Just get his ass beat for 30 minutes and then somehow find a way to win. He was the Rudy of the wrestling they Find world. a twist. So that's Stallone, kind of a Rocky, right? Like Rocky, yeah. <laughs> All right, exactly. It's a great name, though. Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck. Okay. Uh, Tajiri, right. he was a Japanese wrestler. He would do the great Muda thing of spraying the mist out of his mouth into his opponent's eyes, the green mist or the red wrist. I've seen that. Red mist, yeah. That. He yep. was one of these guys, and he did that same kind of move set. Another <laughs> very famous tag team that started out as a hillbilly inbred adopted family dynamic called okay. the Dudley Boys. <laughs> Whoa. Um, okay. I've seen them. You've okay. seen them, right? So now they're a famous like, duo. Like, like big guys, kind of like coveralls and plant yes. overalls or whatever. Yes. yes, I have seen them. And yeah. the weird like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sports glasses on okay. them, you know, or the right. dark right, the glasses. Right. Yeah, yep. they would wear that. But they started in ECW as kind of a family organization. There was four or five different Dudleys in the group. Spike Dudley, even, who was the little guy. Another great name, a solid wrestler, but I think his name and his attitude was really what sold him. Justin Credible. First name Justin, last name Credible. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> that is clever. Very cute. Was he just incredible? He was. He was really good. He had a partner named Lance Storm, who was a wrestler out of Canada. Maybe the most underrated talent of anybody on the roster, Um, just in that he was one of these guys who he didn't really speak on the mic very much, but his in-ring ability was off the charts. I mean, this guy was legendary for what he could do in the ring, and he was another guy who could go 60 minutes and not miss a breath. Wow. Okay. Now, Lance Storm is a cool name, but you mm-hmm. ran up against Just Incredible. I mean, you're going to be lost <laughs> in that shadow. Yeah, and Just Incredible, of course, did 99% of the mic work for the team. Did he? As you yeah, can imagine. That was, that's cool. The last two are two that, if at least one of you don't know these names, I'll be disappointed. The first one, Terry Funk. 
There's all the whole funk family, Terry and yes. Dory and all those people, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I'm glad at least one of you knows Terry Funk. He was a movie star there for a little while, sort of, you know. I'm, uh-huh. So did he start in the ECW then, Terry Funk? No, 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 no. Terry no, Funk no. Okay. started in the Texas organizations. He was right, actually right. much older at the time because this is in the early to mid 90s. He was right. in his like uh, late 50s or early oh, 60s right. at this point. So he's talent that came in, established yeah. talent that came into ECW. Got he it. was there to help establish the brand. He's a known so name, a known commodity. Yeah, credibility, sure. exactly. Yeah. The last one I'm going to mention on the list, and just because he's one of my all-time personal favorites of a person, let alone a wrestler, Cactus Jack. Mick mm-hmm. Foley, Mankind, whatever you want to call him, Dude Love. He's had so many different characters. <laughs> but <Love>. Cactus Jack <laughs> is his original character. And he was a big part of the ECW experience, as you might imagine, because what has he been in every organization that he's ever been a part of? He's been the hardcore icon and legend. Mm. And because this is extreme championship wrestling, hardcore is really what they're all about. Now, that's the wrestlers. Now, there's a whole bunch of others that I didn't mention, and not because I don't think they're worthy of making the list. We just we can't spend three episodes on ECW with his pocket. <laughs> this is not a wrestling podcast. Of amazing names and talent, right? <laughs> exactly. I do want to go through a couple of other supporting people. The first is a group called the Valets. Now, you guys, Ooh. we've talked about Valets a little bit before. These are the accompanying, usually female counterparts when a wrestler comes down to the ring. Okay, right, right. They oh, won't yeah. necessarily wrestle, but they won't necessarily stop from themselves from interfering in a match occasionally mm. or maybe... <laughs> Maybe they're there to be pretty eye candy, whatever reason. Miss Elizabeth is probably the most famous of the valets in all history. She wasn't really part of ECW, but there are three women in particular who I want to point out for different reasons. First one, and it's because it's the best valet name I've ever heard next to the last one that I'm going to get to. But this one, if you think of a beautiful woman, Mm -hmm. bikini on a beach, maybe uh, Mm -hmm. suntan, beautiful hair, whatever. I know the name that comes to mind is going to be Beulah McGillicuddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's just what I was thinking. Oh, my God. Beulah? And she was exactly as I described. She was a beautiful young lady who was very fun, and she was fun in the ring. She had some great character arcs in ECW. But that name, Beulah (laughs) McGillicuddy. Oh, my God. Ethel. Right? right. She sounds like she might have been it's the women's PE name. teacher at a really <laughs> terrible high school. <laughs> Oh, my God. There was another valet who was actually the valet to Shane Douglas for a long, long time. Her name was Francine. Simple, one name. Okay. She was Mm -hmm. an empowered lady who didn't take shit from anybody. She didn't mind slapping the other wrestlers. Great character art. (laughs) Cool. And then the final and arguably the best name for a valet ever in professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Swear to God, this is real. Kimono Wanalea. (laughs) That's, that's subtle. <laughs> oh, my God. Kimona. And let me tell you, she was every part of that name. There was no part of that name that wasn't her and her character. This young lady was actually a former stripper who okay. they hired to be part <laughs> yeah. of a couple of storylines because it was a mostly male audience and they mm-hmm. knew what those guys wanted to see. <laughs> 
She had some very interesting segments, and we're going to talk about a couple of them when we get down to our extreme moments. Okay. Kimona Wanalea. <laughs> if that's not a name that perks your ears up, oh. I don't know what will in wrestling. <laughs> oh, her parents would be so proud. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she needs to look up Just Incredible. Right? Yeah. That would have been a great pairing. Uh, that, oh, I yeah. That would be perfect. Just Incredible, Kimona Wanalea. <laughs> There are a few other people who are very important to the organization, and I'm talking about on-air people with this segment, not the behind-the-scenes people, but okay, this yeah. first gentleman, he's both. Paulie Dangerously. Without Paulie yeah. Dangerously, also known as Paul Heyman, you don't have extreme championship wrestling. You don't have... Uh, Honestly, a lot of innovative wrestling products that you see now, uh, the okay. WWF would be poorer for not having him. This man, while not exactly the most honest of human beings, I'll say in a nice way, <laughs> yeah, was absolutely one of the visionaries of sports entertainment. Wow, that's high praise. Another guy that I just think deserves a mention because... He was the oddest type of this character I've ever seen in my life. A gentleman named Bill Alfonso. So you guys have watched wrestling once or twice. You've heard sure. me talk oh, about yeah. it. Plenty. In a typical wrestling match, you have two wrestlers. And who's the third person in the ring? The ref. The ref. The ref. All right. Hey, you got it right, John. Woo. We got one right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bill Alfonso was a manager slash referee in ECW who would okay. never call things down the middle. He was always favoring ah. one wrestler or the other. He was this skinny little guy who looked like he was probably on heroin most of his life. <laughs> <laughs> So by, by design, he was there to kind of, he had he had a horse in the race. He cared who won. And he was very smarmy acting. He had this nice. gimmick of blowing a whistle all the time, like a ref's whistle, like mm -hmm. you would see yeah. in football, just tweet, tweet, tweet all the time. That was, he wouldn't speak hardly at all. He would just blow the whistle. It was like uh, he was one of the Marx brothers that did the horn, you know, right. <laughs> like Harpo, I guess, or whoever. Yeah. But he did figure into some really interesting storylines. He took some beatdowns from some female valet wrestlers. Um, <laughs> he, oh, he would oftentimes, yeah. like managers usually, they would interfere in the match by distraction or physical interference in a match. He did it in a different way than most others did. He would jump in to interfere in the match and get his ass beat by his wrestler's <laughs> opponent, but that would give his wrestler just enough time to figure out how to pin the guy. <laughs> Gotta get him. So he would take a beat down for his guy to get a win. Last guy, John, this guy kind of should fall to your heart a little bit. Hmm. Joey Styles. This was the on-air announcer and caller of the matches. He was both the announcer and most times the color commentator as well. Most famous phrase um, for him was the oh my god phrase oh this is the guy you had me look up for that yes. sound bite the oh my god i went down a rabbit hole looking at this guy screaming <laughs> oh my god oh my god i saw him at a, like an award show standing there mm -hmm. and he's like oh, really he did his bit and i saw a guy asking him to do his bit and i can only imagine that that's something that probably organically just people picked up on because he was so enthusiastic <laughs> it was and it was exactly what you're saying he would watch these matches either live or yeah. oftentimes he recorded his commentary after the fact because oh, really? okay. a lot of their original VHS tapes were just recorded uh, segments from their house shows because like I said they had a hard oh, time okay. getting on TV for a long long period of time okay. in their early going so that oh my god came out of seeing some of the moments <laughs> that we're about to talk about okay. Okay. and I'm going to give you 
just these little brief titles and see if they kind of catch your ear and you can ask questions and I'll explain. Okay. Okay. First one, Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman and a Singapore cane. Like somebody got whipped with a cane? Oh, did they? Oh, really? Oh, no. Because that was in the news in the night. Like 94 was when right. the, like the tourists got caned overseas because they painted on a wall or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tommy Dreamer at the time was not known as being an extreme wrestler. He was just a wrestler, right? Okay. I, I mean, he was a good wrestler. He was a solid wrestler. His character was from New Jersey. He would kind of had that New Jersey look. He had the black slicked back hair. He had the Fu Manchu goatee kind of thing. <laughs> he was about six foot two, 230 pounds, built pretty solidly, but not like the big cut muscles. You know okay. what I mean? Not like the steroid type of look. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But he was a solid wrestler. Now, the Sandman was a beer guzzling, chain smoking, redneck from a trailer park type of guy (laughs) who the fans loved. And he would literally come to the ring with a Singapore cane as a weapon that he would oftentimes find a way to use in his matches against his opponents. Oh, geez. You would usually think illegally, but this is ECW. The rules kind (laughs) of are gray all the time (laughs) in this organization. Well, Tommy Dreamer had a series of matches with the Sandman, and they culminated in this one match in 1994 where they agreed that whoever lost the match would then allow themselves to be whipped oh. with this Singapore cane 10 times. Oh, jeez. Mm. Now, for those who are listening, if you can, go find this clip in YouTube because it's brutal <laughs> okay. and it's 100% real. For those who say wrestling is fake... Watch this and tell me how fake it is. Some things are tough to fake. Yeah. The Sandman, literally, and there's time in between the shots. Like, he doesn't go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It's not that. Okay. No, he takes his time with this. Tommy Dreamer lost the match. He then kneeled down of his own accord in the ring and took 10 incredibly stiff shots to the back from this Singapore King. If you guys have ever seen a Singapore King, it's... It's yeah. very much like a kendo stick. If you've ever seen kendo, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah. you know, a martial arts form. And they, it's it's made up of several bamboo shoots that are taped mm-hmm. together at one end. It's rigid, but it flexes a little. Exactly. Yeah. And oh, it has yeah. this snapping quality because the pieces of wood all snap together when they impact mm-hmm. something. And they were yep. impacting the shit out of Tommy Dreamer. It was <laughs> brutal. I mean, the welts on his back after this. Ouch. Woo. In crazy. Ugh. But that's the night that Tommy Dreamer earned his moniker as an extreme wrestler. And Uh, from that point forward, he became known as the innovator of violence after that because he started that whole extreme type of wrestling style. Okay. One of my favorite moments in ECW. Another one, I'm going to title it this way, Hardcore Heaven 1994 and a bunch of chairs. (laughs) That just sounds like wrestling. Throw chairs in the ring. You got to hit somebody with a chair. Well, I'm interested now. (laughs) So, yeah, wrestlers would throw chairs in the ring and then they would pick them up and beat somebody to death with them. Mm -hmm. It's not what happened here, ladies and gentlemen. No. So in 1994, ECW was having one of its pay-per-view events called Hardcore Heaven. At the event, there were two wrestlers who we've already talked about, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk, and they were Mm -hmm. on a tag team against another very famous tag team called Public Enemy. Public Enemy did this whole kind of rap gimmick where they would wear hockey shirts to the ring and do like really terrible breakdancing moves to the ring. Anyway, (laughs) a couple of white guys, as you might imagine. Uh, (laughs) This was for the ECW World Tag Team Championship. At one point... For whatever reason, it was going to become obvious that a chair was going to be used. 
So Public Enemy had been laid out in the ring and Cactus Jack and Terry Funk were going to get some chairs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm not really sure exactly why this started, but one fan threw a chair into the ring, threw his own metal folding chair that he was sitting on into the ring. Okay. Okay. (laughs) One fan. The entire rest of the arena decided to follow suit and threw about oh, no. 300 chairs oh my God. into the ring all at the same time. That's so when you watch this video on YouTube, it's literally just raining chairs into the ring on top of Public Enemy who are just laying there covering up, trying not to die. One of those moments that became a staple of the intro cut scenes to the beginning of championship ECW wrestling. Always use that clip. Exactly. Beautiful, beautiful clip. One of my favorites. You couldn't script that, but that shows you how into it the crowd was, right? Yeah. That that just Mm. spontaneously happens, right? You can't make that happen. That's exactly right. And that's, you're right, John. It shows how bought into the storylines that these fans were. Now, this is a time when the internet is becoming a thing and the smart, the smart mark people are learning mm-hmm. about the behind the scenes stuff yeah. from the internet at this point so these fans were likely people who knew the real deal yeah, there was some scripting they knew that right. they still got so into it though they just that's cool oh my yep. god we can throw a chair in the <laughs> ring and they did they just <laughs> threw chairs crazy another really fun moment and i say that with a grin new jack <laughs> Vic Grimes and okay. a scaffold. Okay. So scaffold. I don't know if you guys are aware, but oftentimes wrestling promoters try to come up with creative new matches that nobody's ever seen before. Okay. The cage match was born out of right. that type of an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. The dog collar match yeah. where two guys have a dog collars wrapped around their necks with a chain tied between them. Jeez, what could go wrong there? The bullwhip <laughs> match where literally a bullwhip is on a pole and whoever gets it first gets to use it. Right. These types of specialty mm. gimmick matches, as you might say, have become standard in the wrestling industry, especially for small promotions, because if you can put on a crazy match, people will come to see it and they'll pay to do that. Okay. Spectacle. Sure. Well, imagine a wrestling ring with a scaffold that is 35 feet above that ring. Okay. And that's where the match takes place. Not in the ring. Oh, my God. On, on top of the it? scaffold. <laughs> What? So as I mentioned before, it seemed like unnecessary danger. It hard to watch it though. It was looking like it it was crazy. (laughs) So now, as I mentioned before, New Jack is an absolute criminal. He's actually one of the wrestlers that I really don't like. I there are very few of those types of wrestlers I'll say that about. I don't like him as a person. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like what he's done in his life. I don't like what he's done to other wrestlers. And this is one of those types of cases where a really bad thing happened as an accident that he later tried to take vengeance upon on purpose. So he was wrestling a gentleman named Vic Mm. Grimes, who was not a newbie to the wrestling scene, but also not a 10 year veteran. Okay. Okay. New Jack is six, one two twenty, not defined or chiseled, but he's known for his crazy. I'll do anything kind of wrestling antics, which is why he fits into the extreme championship wrestling mode. Vic Grimes was a much bigger guy. He was like six, four, six, five, 300 pounds. But again, not a chiseled guy, just kind of overweight, but he could wrestle. They're in this scaffolding match and new Jack at one point is supposed to basically throw Vic Grimes off of the scaffold down to the ring. And that's supposed to be the end of the match. Three, five feet. Yeah. 
35 feet down to the ring. Now, wrestlers take right, extreme okay. bumps like mm. that quite often. The Hardy Boys are known for <laughs> jumping off of 20-foot-tall ladders to the mat itself. And as we've talked about, those mats, it's just a thin little mat on top of a plywood board. So it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. canvas, but underneath it's not a trampoline, right? No, it's, no. It has a spring a in the middle of it, but it's all wood. Jeez. So deck. New yep. Jack goes to throw Vic Grimes off of the scaffold. And through accident, Vic Grimes's arms and New Jack's arms kind of get tangled up. And they both mm. go down together. Ouch. They also don't really Ouch. hit the ring the way they're uh, supposed what? to. <laughs> And so Vic Grimes <sighs> ends up landing on New Jack's skull on the Ooh. concrete. Oh, uh, oh, oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Now it was a complete and total accident. So what happened? I mean, he lived. He died. Well, they, they end the match. <laughs> <It was> yo shit. <laughs> and New Jack has a cracked skull. Literally, oh, Jesus. Um, he's out of wrestling for quite a while. Oof. The follow-up to it, and this Oof. is one of the things that makes me not like New Jack. This was a complete accident. Everybody at the arena, Vic Grimes himself, everybody could see how it was not on purpose. It was obvious right. that it was an accident. It was a miscue. These things happen in this kind of a dangerous I'm sport. Imagine. Yeah. The scaffold itself was very shaky, so when they were moving around on it, it literally shook back and forth. It didn't have like a lot of stabilizing rods on it or anything. And if you've ever stood on a tall scaffold, you know how those things feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, That's well, how the that, accident dirty, happened. Yeah. Later on, I think it was maybe a year or two or three years later, they ended up having another match. And in this match, New Jack literally tried to kill Vic Grimes in the ring. Jesus. Off script. They totally off script. Yeah, he not. totally went off script, totally went into the business for himself, as they say, and I hope he got tried fired. to kill Vic Grimes. Well, he, he, of course, got fired, but he didn't care. Good. Okay. And he has said, even since then, you would think 10 years, 15 years later, you would develop some perspective and say, that was a bad thing. I shouldn't no. have done it. I know it was an accident we've made up. No. This man to this day still says, I wish I could have fucking killed that guy. Wow. Is he doing anything at all today at all in wrestling or? Who, New Jack? Yeah. Yeah. People still hire him occasionally. Um, he's mm. had some other issues since then. Now, I'm not going to say this one is his fault, but he, he has caught some incurable diseases. He has hepatitis. And one of his gimmicks is to bleed a lot in the ring. And he has uh, gone into matches before people uh, knew he had hepatitis and bled all over people. How does he still uh, work? Geez, yeah, yeah, how do really? people still hire him? Yeah, because he that's... developed this reputation in ECW, he was a name. And so he's a spectacle, too. Like, what's he going to yeah. do? Exactly. Yeah. Like if you're that small organization we saw at SFGE and mm -hmm. you get New Jack on your card, <laughs> right? People that's going to draw 400% of your normal audience because they know the name. Yeah. Let's move off of that one. We'll move on to something that I think is one of the best things in ECW ever. Terry Funk, Shane Douglas, and Sabu in one hour. These three men okay. had a match where Terry Funk was the champion at the time, and they okay. literally wrestled for an entire hour no, non-stop how were the three exhausted at the end of that a three-way oh match yeah so triple threat matches are not uncommon in wrestling oh, okay that's a thing i didn't know that the rules are that whoever gets the pin is the winner and usually wins the championship because usually triple threat matches are over a championship okay so yeah generally what will happen is the what everybody knows has to happen is 
one guy has to get beat down so bad that he can't really continue or get involved in the match. And then the and other two guys too. wrestle and okay. one of them tries to pin the other one. Now, what will invariably happen is during the match, the third guy will get beat down and be out of the ring. So the two guys are just having a match for a little while. And when a pin attempt happens, the third guy will pop up miraculously <laughs> right. and break up. You the forgot pin. about this guy. Right. <laughs> okay. It's like in the movies when you're gunpointed the bad guy and the guy you thought was already dead shows up, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, in this particular case, you have three of the premier talents of ECW, Terry Funk, Shane Douglas, who, as I mentioned earlier, was the longtime champion, and yeah. Sabu, who is arguably one of the craziest wrestlers. You're going to find that out in a little bit as another moment we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, but these three guys had an hour-long Iron Man match as a triple threat wow. match, which I've never seen that. I've seen Iron Man matches with two wrestlers, like uh, Ric Flair and Sting did an hour-long match one time. Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat did. But three guys, and especially Terry Funk, he's in his 60s, I believe, he's at this old point. old guy, yeah. That's stamina. Yeah. yeah geez. Again, some things you just can't fake. Athleticism yeah. for that long, that's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. for sure. Uh, so the next one, another fun little moment in ECW. <laughs> Kimona Wanalea, Shane Douglas, Tommy Dreamer, and Beulah McGillicuddy. <laughs> that name just cracks me up. And the Kiss. Oh. So right. at the time, as you can imagine, valets and wrestlers were oftentimes boyfriend girlfriends in the storylines. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Tommy Dreamer is in a feud with Shane Douglas. Okay. Well, Shane Douglas comes down to the ring one time when Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicuddy, who is Tommy Dreamer's valet slash girlfriend, they're in the ring. And Shane Douglas says, bet you didn't know she's been cheating on you. Mm. Well, Shane Douglas's valet was Kimona Wanalea, so she's out there with him as well. Uh-huh. And Tommy Dreamer's like, you know, he's getting incensed and he's like asking Beulah, what to, what's he talking about? You know, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and he's like, why are you cheating on me with Shane? You know, he's a horrible person. Everybody hates him. You're a good person. Why would you? And wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. Can I call it? I have a guess. You can call it. Absolutely. Can I call it? Yes, sir. Beulah and Kimono kissed. Yes, they do. Kimono marches down to the ring, (laughs) plants one on Beulah. What a great twist. They start kissing. (laughs) They fall to the mat. They're all over each other going nuts. Tommy Dreamer standing in the ring with the, oh my God, type of face, right? Oh, my God. The windup of it is, though, instead of breaking up with Beulah, Tommy starts dating both of them. And that becomes the storyline for about six months where Shane loses his shit because not only does he not get over on Tommy Dreamer, his girlfriend goes to Tommy Dreamer anyway. So nice. Fun little moments. But I border that with this. Arguably one of the most extreme matches of all time outside of the scaffold match, which the scaffold match was extreme (laughs) because of the horrible (laughs) ending to that match. Yeah. This match was planned this way. Okay. So Sabu, as I mentioned before, Terry Funk and barbed wire. They took the ring ropes down and replace them with barbed wire. Oh, (sighs) no. This just sounds like uh, it's a bad idea for everybody. (laughs) It is. So you guys remember a movie 
called The Wrestler that came out a few years ago. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, Mickey Rourke, Mickey Rourke you know, was yeah. the Tremay, I think title character. Uh, there's a scene in that movie that pays homage to this where he has okay. a barbed wire match with a wrestler called the Necro Butcher. That's a whole different storyline. <laughs> I, I can do, <laughs> a, can do a whole a podcast on that crazy guy. These two guys had the first barbed wire match that I know of in wrestling history. And they go for 20 minutes or so. If you guys can check this out on YouTube, it's a crazy match. They end up at the end of the match having to be pulled apart by paramedics and bolt cutters. Like the barbed wire is literally embedded in their skin. They're tangled up together, wrapped in it. It's a crazy, crazy match. You couldn't pay me enough. Yeah, no, no. Sabu is now widely known for the scars all over his body, the welted scars that he has. And a majority of them came from this match. Man. Ouch. That's... That's a uh, lot to give for your art, for your craft. It yeah, is. It is isn't it? That, yeah. And it's, Can't imagine. it's really what kind of changed the trajectory of Terry Funk's latter career. So Terry Funk, before this, was always a crazy kind of wrestler. He would, uh, because he always had the Texas motif with his brother Dory Funk, John, that sure. you mentioned earlier, yes, uh, they would huh? brand people or beat people with a branding iron. You know, they would wear mm. cowboy hats and chaps and stuff to the ring. Right. After these kinds of matches in ECW, he became a hardcore legend himself, right along with Cactus Jack. And even when they both ended up in the WWF at the time, they had a whole program with the two of them doing these crazy hardcore PG stylish matches. Like they didn't get as crazy as ECW did, but they did kind of carry that whole hardcore wrestling Hmm. motif over next one is also it also had a scene that paid homage to it in the wrestler okay the title of this moment is tommy dreamer and the prosthetic leg (laughs) (laughs) whose leg the begs i know that's my first question is like who 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 sacrificed their leg to go in to throw in there a fan in the audience again was sitting at ringside (laughs) and he had a prosthetic leg This was one of these matches that kind of spilled out into the audience. You guys have seen those sometimes Mm -hmm. where the wrestlers battle outside the ring and they fall over the barricade. And at some point, this guy and Tommy Dreamer were close to each other. And the whole crowd started chanting, use his leg, use his leg. (laughs) So the guy handed the leg to Tommy Dreamer and Tommy Dreamer proceeded to beat his opponent upside the head with this prosthetic leg. Oh, my God. They did almost a scene for scene reshoot of that in The Wrestler. So you can catch that either on YouTube (laughs) or in the movie The Wrestler. (laughs) Okay. Just one of those crazy unscripted moments that ECW embraced. And this was what was the fabric of ECW. Wow. You went into an ECW taping or house show thinking you would know what was going to go on. You didn't. You absolutely didn't. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm going to wind it up with this last one because I think it's probably the most famous moment in ECW history. And everybody uses the same title when they talk about this in an article or on a YouTube video or an interview, whatever, because ECW used it in the VHS tape that they released about this moment that they were not supposed to do. Oh, okay. This is the night that Kimona Wanalea dances atop (laughs) the ECW arena. Wait, we mean atop the arena. (laughs) So remember earlier, I talked about that office well, this is the, that the was office inside the warehouse. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yep. That office was only half the height of, of the, the warehouse right. itself. She danced on top of that office. Okay. Hmm. 
Now, why did she do that? Okay. This was a house show. A distraction. And in the middle of one of the matches, the ring collapsed, just fell apart. <laughs> because Jeez, this organization, okay. they didn't have a lot of money. They were running, you know, bare bones, bare thread as it was. Okay. So the ring collapses and they're trying to figure out how to fix the ring. All the guys who would put together the ring before the match, the, you know, like not really mechanics or engineers, but just like guys who wanted to be a part of it that would set up the stuff ahead of the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. They were trying to figure out what to do. Paul Heyman recognizes that his fans are getting restless. Now we've talked about the moments and what the fan interaction has been. You can imagine what a restless ECW crowd might be yeah, like. Yeah. They're not, not so understanding maybe. So Paul Heyman is sitting there and he spies Kimono Wanaleya, Kristen Lom across the locker room and he recognizes and remembers she used to be a stripper. So he tells her, would you do me a favor? Please just get up on top of the office here and start dancing. Just keep dancing. We'll keep looping the music until they get the fucking ring fixed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so she puts on a uh, see-through teddy with some little pasties so that her nipples aren't shown through the see-through uh-huh. teddy. She gets up on top of this nasty, dirty, filthy office roof in this warehouse and starts strip dancing type of movements. Okay. There are a couple of videos out there that show it. There's a few videos out there of people letting their significant others watch this thing and reacting to it. But (laughs) (laughs) she dances for about like 10 minutes on top of this roof okay that's entertainment right <laughs> yeah <laughs> the agreement between her and paul Heyman was that they would not record or keep any photos of oh, her dancing because this was intended to be just keep them, just keep at the that house placated show, while just we keep them placated and see, she was yeah. very clear about that apparently in several interviews since she has said she is stuck to the same story and gotcha. other people have supposedly corroborated that this was what was agreed upon between right. those two That's not at all what happened. They did record her performance (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they released it on one of their VHS tapes that I talked about earlier in the show. This particular Mm -hmm. VHS tape arguably probably saved them for five or six more years because (laughs) of the sales of this videotape. Because Joey Styles, the announcer we talked about earlier, he's the one who delivers the line. This is the night that Kimono Wanalea danced atop the ECW (laughs) arena. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just one of their compilation tapes that has a lot of different matches from yeah. house shows. Everybody bought old. it for this dance. <laughs> she does at one point, she kind of, she takes down the little nighty thing and puts a, t- a towel over herself that she had up there. Uh, she does accidentally <laughs> pop out a few times in the dance. There's even a moment I talked about drywall earlier. There's drywall in this oh, right. warehouse yeah. on this office. Yeah. I don't know who, nobody knows who really, but somebody put their fist through the backside of the drywall wall where she was at and held yeah. out a dollar bill Holy like you at a strip club and she went and good. put it and did the dollar oh, bill geez. thing good heavens crazy ecw moment arguably yeah. the most famous ecw moment in their history <laughs> and that's the signature move of the ecw <laughs> <laughs> holy cow coming up on five minute news i'm anthony davis You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Each episode of Gen X Grown Up has show notes loaded with links where you can learn more about our topics. And there's even more to see and hear over at GenXGrownUp.com. The hottest action on pay-per-view this summer comes to you from the most anti-social, counter-culture, rebel wrestling promotion to ever singe its way into your living room. Set your calendars, because the temperature's rising, and pay-per-view will never be the same again after ECW's Heat Wave 98. The next thing we need to talk about is really the fall and quote-unquote takeover of ECW. Okay. Uh, In October of 2000, ECW for a number of years had been running on a cable television station called TNN. You guys might remember it. It later became known as Spike TV. Oh, yeah. Okay. They had become popular enough through those VHS tapes to get a television contract. They originally tried to get on the USA Network, which the WWF had just left. But Mm -hmm. uh, Vince McMahon had written a letter to the USA Network said, if you ever want us back, don't put them on that channel. Don't do that. So they ended up on TNN. But declining ratings, wrestlers leaving, they ended up getting their contract canceled in October of 2000. Okay. Their last pay-per-view was the very next year in January of 2001 called Guilty as Charged. It was decently attended, but not well sold on the pay-per-view market. As you can imagine, in the early 2000s, pay-per-view was kind of fading a little bit, especially right. with the advent of the internet mm-hmm. and streaming and yeah, stuff like people that. People just thought it wasn't worth the money, actually. Exactly. Because they were, know, they were still trying to charge like $40 and $50 at that yeah. point. Yeah. And as you can imagine, because of the loss of a television contract, their pay-per-views not selling well, ECW filed bankruptcy that same year. Okay. So the whole ECW kind of rose and fell inside of just like five or six years. Like it was very uh, short. Yeah, about like eight or nine, but yeah, within oh, really? a decade. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So a little, little earlier rise and a little later fall, but yeah. Exactly. Um, 92 to 2000, 2001. Burned fast and bright. <laughs> the fa- yeah. Burned bright and burned quick, right? Uh, the one thing that I think it's interesting to note, as I mentioned earlier, Paulie Heyman's not known for being the most truthful of individuals. At the end, his... <laughs> paychecks to his wrestlers were bouncing left, right, and center. Oh, oh. So I thought it important to note some of the wrestlers and the money that they were owed that was discovered through the bankruptcy filings. Okay. Rob Van Dam was owed $150,000. Shane Douglas was owed $145,000. Tommy Dreamer owed $100,000. Joey Styles, the announcer, John, $50,000. Another gentleman named Rhino, who was a very famous wrestler for them in their later years, uh, was owed 50000 And Francine, the lady who we talked about as one of the best valets, valet, yeah. was owed $47,000. Huh. Every week, these hardworking people were coming to the shows and coming to the tapings and putting their bodies on the line. And Paul Heyman was just simply not paying them. Now, I know that he says he wanted to pay them and he wanted to have the money, but through whatever reasons he did. Now, oddly enough, he made sure he took care of himself because Funny on that. July 9th of 2001, <laughs> he became the new raw color commentator on WWF programming when he replaced mm. the King Jerry Lawler. So he made sure he had money coming oh. He was set. Yeah. ECW, at the time, they were still in the middle of all their bankruptcy proceedings. But this man made sure that he had work. Now, 
he did kind of help usher in some of those former wrestlers from ECW into WWF. He got Rob Van Dam and Tommy Dreamer over there. Some people would say he would say now I will say their (laughs) talent probably got them in. They were very big names at the time. I put in a good word for you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You guys know the extreme movement in the nineties was super popular. WWF is always a year or two behind popular fads. So in the early two (laughs) thousands, they were still trying to cash in on extreme. extreme. Right. But they came back because they were going to be part of this quote unquote invasion storyline. You guys remember in the last time we did a wrestling podcast, we talked about how the WCW also went bankrupt at this time and, and mm-hmm. their organization yeah. and their things and their IP and everything got bought by WWF, but they right. brought the wrestlers in and KFAB like we're invading WWF. Well, ECW was also a part of that storyline. Gotcha. January 28th, 2003, World Wrestling Entertainment Organization finally made it official and purchased all of the ECW assets from their parent corporation in court, uh, which okay. also included the rights to that ECW video library. <laughs> So <laughs> while they have not officially put out the Kimono Wanalea moment in any of their they own stuff, it. they do own it. They can stop people from showing it in places, right. but yeah, it, they own that entire ECW library. And they decided that ECW was still so super popular because people were still coming to WWF arenas and would see Tommy Dreamer or Rob Van Dam or Taz, one of those guys wrestling. And they would just start chanting out of nowhere, ECW, ECW, Hmm. so much so that they would almost take over WWF shows, especially in their home states of Pennsylvania, New York, Ah, New Jersey. Where they were most popular and most well-known where they came from. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A couple years later, they decided to capitalize on owning that IP. And on June 12th, 2005, they put on a reunion event called ECW One Night Stand that featured a whole bunch of alumni from ECW. Mm -hmm. Joey Styles was a part of it. Sabu, Rob Van Dam, Taz, Tommy Dreamer, a whole bunch of these guys came back and did essentially a WWE pay-per-view as an ECW styled show. Please tell me they didn't bring New Jack into that. They did not bring New Jack into that. Okay, as far hooray. as I know, New Jack, I don't believe he's ever had a contract with WWF. Yeah. He might have had a contract with WCW back in the day for a month or two, but I don't think he yeah. was ever a big part of that gotcha. organization either. Okay. Good. They did actually find out that they were so popular that they turned it in to their quote unquote third brand of WWF and they operated mm. that brand up until 2010. So from 2005 to 2010, they operated a third program called ECW. They had WWE Raw and SmackDown. Those were their two main brands. They operated this third brand because the fans were so rabid about it. So let me get this straight. This is interesting. So ECW actually folded. WWE Mm -hmm. bought all the assets. They did. But there was such a groundswell of grassroots people that loved and remembered the ECW. The WWE said, yeah, let's just kind of resurrect that as a brand and act like it's still a thing because people want to see it. They did. Absolutely. And I think it's it's important to note that they did not do that with WCW. Right. Even though WCW was arguably the bigger brand. They were in the war. They, they were trying right. to crush They them. didn't do that with WCW. <laughs> and I think it's because ECW was certainly unique compared to anybody else that had yeah. come before them. Mm-hmm. And I think the fans recognized that and the fans demanded to see and relive that not too long in the past nostalgic moment. Got it. 
That's okay. Well, you know, that's that's neat to hear that the fans were able to the, the that the company was able to hear what the fans really wanted. And despite the fact that that thing was gone in a way, give it to them. Hey, the company won and the fans yeah, won. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I like, mean, it wasn't quite ECW because WWF had to have their control. You know, sure. they, they still yeah. had their PG kind of thing going on at the time. So mm-hmm. you weren't going to see barbed wire matches. On WWE ECW. That's probably okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you were going to see the wrestlers. They were going to get to do most of their stuff. So that's cool. It was fun, but it did end in 2010 and they changed the brand name to what is now the third brand of WWE called NXT, which is more of kind of the younger people, the upstarts that are breaking into the business kind of a brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a diehard Gen X grown-up, you can pledge your support by clicking join on YouTube or by becoming a patron at genxgrownup.com slash Patreon. The world champion, just incredible. The innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. A ladder in the middle of the ring that leads all the way up to barbed wire. All this and so much more when Pioneer Entertainment presents ECW Heatwave 2000. ECW Heatwave 2000 live on pay-per-view. So I'm going to cut this last segment short. We have gone on way too damn long. I apologize to everybody out there again. But um, one of the main things to think about when you come to ECW is really their legacy. John, as you mentioned, they didn't last very long. Eight, nine years tops. They were a bright shining star that burned out fast, as we talked about. But one of their main legacies really is the hardcore wrestling movement. You see hardcore wrestling now everywhere. Before Mm -hmm. ECW, you might see a crazy match here or there, but it wasn't a thing. What do you mean by hardcore wrestling? Can Mm, you define what you mean by that? Sure. Uh, Hardcore wrestling is generally defined as matches that appear as though death can be involved. That's the scaffolding. Ah, okay. <laughs> the the barbed wire the barb matches wire. the scaffold. Oh, okay. okay, got it. Yeah, the Singapore cane. Um, and, you know, wrestlers have now taken that motif to further extremes, not to okay. use the pun, but I've seen <laughs> matches now where those long-tubed light bulbs, people just beat each other to death with those. Ooh. Oh, yeah, the fluorescent <laughs> bulbs, yeah. Staple guns have been used in matches Gee, quite often. Thumbtacks, uh, flaming tape. Even WWF has done the flaming motif at times. That kind of stuff was really all born out of that crazy, you know, less than a decade ECW time period. And to wrestling fans that like the extreme hardcore style, 
it's very important because in the age that we live in now, where almost any wrestling fan is going to understand that this is scripted entertainment. Sure. The fact that you see a guy get up there and have another guy break a light bulb across his face or (laughs) somebody take a barbed wire wrapped baseball bat and smack somebody in the stomach and blood gush out. Some fans view that as a way to say wrestling is real in that context. Yeah. In that sense it is. Sure. Yeah. And I guess for, for the people who are rabid about hardcore, I enjoy hardcore when it's appropriate, but I'm not rabid about it. I really enjoyed ECW at the time because I was in my twenties and thirties and you know, that whole extreme was a big movement and there was testosterone and you know, you're just like, ah, extreme, you know, (laughs) but the hardcore part and it. I think the one sad part of the legacy is how hardcore wrestling really shortens careers. These guys that do the hardcore wrestling, they can't perform at their highest level for more than a couple of years. Now they keep performing, but they're kind of broken down now because they, you know, they break bones. They get these horrible cuts, burns. Uh, People have gone blind in these hardcore matches. So a lot of real injury and lifetime problems can come out of these, but there are people who it's their church. Yeah. But I can see the extreme stuff as a novelty, mm -hmm. but it has to get exhausting because you have to keep trying to, if that's all you do, you got to keep trying to top it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's going to get more risky, I would think, right? It does. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, depending upon who you have as the performers, you know, like if you get a a new Jack type of guy, Mm -hmm. it can be a whole different kind of dangerous that you don't even plan for. No kidding. Now, one of the more interesting things to note is some of the organizations that have sprung up around this movement. Uh, The first one that I want to mention is called House of Hardcore. Now, this is an organization that is actually owned and operated by Tommy Dreamer. I don't know if they're still in active operation, but he in the uh, like in the last 2000s, like 2010 to 20, he did a whole bunch of different events that were super popular pay-per-view type of events um, where he would get some of his old wrestling people together along with some of the new hardcore wrestlers and they would do this homage event to ECW and of course if Tommy Dreamer walks out in a ring ECW ECW (laughs) so it definitely his promotion owes its start to ECW I think Tommy Dreamer would agree with that and be proud of it right oh yeah Uh, I think another thing that came born out of ECW is something you might not expect. And that is the onslaught of wrestler first promotions. And what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. I talked a little bit about the bankruptcy and how Paul Heyman treated his wrestlers, right? As far as money and pay and being honest with them and stuff like that. You know, he lied to Kimono Wanalea about the video. He didn't pay his people. There are several promotions that have taken that rabid fandom that ECW developed, but used it in a way to really service the wrestlers themselves. ROH, which stands for Ring of Honor, they Mm. really kind of developed this whole motif of like the two wrestlers before they start their match, they have to shake hands. That's one of the gimmicks of the organization. And even though there's good guys and bad guys, there's a respect that is always paid. And that organization treats its wrestlers very well by allowing them to go to other organizations to earn money in this era of you signed a contract. You only wrestle for us. They allow Mm. wrestlers to go other places to earn money when they're not promoting or doing a show. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. 
Another one is AEW, the upstart organization that's just been around for a couple of years now. Uh, that's f- really funded by the son of a Saudi prince and was put together <laughs> with him okay. and some wrestlers that he was super a super fan of that he met them because he has money. He can meet, you know, celebrities (laughs) and they formed an organization. And part of their mantra at the beginning was the wrestlers are the most important part of this organization, not the booker, not the promoter, not the cameraman. Although those people are important, the wrestlers are the most important part. They are going to be the ones that make the most money out of this. Mm. The Prince's son guy who funds it, he actually has never, as far as I know, taken a salary. All the Mm. money goes back to the organization organization to fund the organization's events and pay the wrestlers and the staff and everything. And they have talked in depth in different places uh, that they never wanted to be an organization like ECW that didn't pay its wrestlers. Right. Got it. Like ECW in that case served as a bad example. Right. <laughs> some cases where it's a good example and laid good groundwork. Right. But in others, yeah, you didn't like, do let's this not right. do this. <laughs> We're going to learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Right. And I, I think it's important huh. yeah, to show that. that the two sides of that legacy coin, because yeah. While ECW was extremely innovative and came out of nowhere and, you know, was super popular, they did a lot of things wrong and they paid for it by having to close and their wrestlers paid for it by getting cheated. And I think it's a good tale, but it's also a cautionary tale. You can come sure. up with a great idea and you can promote the hell of it and you can develop a rabid fan base. But if you don't treat all the people honestly and treat them right. It's yeah. unsustainable. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to make it. going to happen. And so. this was all happening coincided along with the Monday Night Wrestling Wars we talked about last time. So ECW was also clawing for audience in the mm-hmm. midst of this war that was taking yeah. place. Right. Yeah. They were yeah. the third okay. promotion at the time. Yeah. They were considered the third promotion, but the fans of that promotion would say to this day, it was by far better than anything WWF or WCW ever put out. Is that where it falls for you? Hmm. Hmm, Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, yeah, George thinking. I, so, so I kind of, I, I kind of <laughs> think maybe they did put out yeah a better product. better things than those two organizations ever did because the one thing they did they were willing to take a risk yeah. with their storylines because they didn't have anything to lose really they already were right. bottom of the barrel. They didn't have the same money and the same bankroll and the same polish, probably, but maybe that means they worked harder at it. Maybe that means they were scrappier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't get me wrong. Greatest match of all time is still, in my mind, always going to be a Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat match. That's always okay. going to be the greatest match of all time. Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3 Iconic. is still going to be one of the greatest yeah. moments of sure. all wrestling time. Yep. But segment for segment, match for match, wrestler for wrestler... In its heyday, before it went crazy and bankrupt and cheating and all that stuff, I don't know that you got better than ECW. Wow. That's that's saying something, knowing the fan that you are. Yeah. Wow. I think we're going to have some comments on that too, I'm sure. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) If they listened all the way through this credibly long past, I'm so sorry. When we talk about wrestling, I can't shut up. That's just the truth of the matter. No, it's awesome that you have such a passion for it. Whether it's wrestling or whether it's minifigures or whether it's Gundam or whatever it is, when somebody's 
passionate about something. I love watching that freak flag fly because it's like, I love it. I'm into it. I know all the parts of it. And that's gorgeous in any case. It doesn't matter how much I know or love about wrestling. Hearing somebody that's passionate about it talk about it, that's entertaining. And I think our fourth listeners agree because they yeah. love the, the other previous uh, wrestling podcast. So well done. A lot of hard work and research and a lot of work on yeah, your behalf, awesome, George. But thank I you. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm, mean, I got some videos to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a list. Show notes. You got some work for you, Mo. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> well, George, thank you again for your preparation and your all your knowledge here. Absolutely. That will wrap it up for yet another Gen X Grown Up Backtrack. Don't worry. We'll be back in two weeks with another one. Next week, though, is our regular edition of our episode. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much again for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you, man. And always fun. Fourth listener, it's you. We all appreciate most of all, though. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. I guess I can just uh, jump into each segment, or do you want to jump into them, John? That's cool. I think that's appropriate. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I agree. You want to jump in? Yeah. Yep. I mean, with my voice and the fact that you're running the show, I think makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But cool. I'm good promo? with promo. Yep. Promo. Good. George wrote He's good with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.